So as, as I get older and hopefully more mature, uh, I'm realizing that there are things in life that I'm good at, things that I'm not good at, and things that I am, I am just profoundly bad at. Uh, for instance, I am profoundly bad at virtually every kind of electronic communication. I'm bad at email, I'm bad at text messages, Facebook messaging, Slack. Can I get an amen from anybody who knows me? Amen. That's right. I'm just bad at it. But I, maybe I should clarify, because um, this is actually bad news. I'm in charge of electronic communication for our church. So <laughs> let me clarify. I, I'm really bad at replying to electronic communication. I mean, I respond, but I don't always reply. For instance, someone might send me a text saying, hey man, are you free to meet for lunch on Tuesday? And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally free. and I would love to get to lunch. That'd be so great. Let's do it. I'll plan on it, is what I say in my mind. <laughs> when I respond, but there's a problem. I respond in my mind and only in my mind, not with my thumbs, not with my fingers. I respond in my mind. I don't type it. I don't send it. I don't post it. But having responded in my mind, <laughs> I feel like I've responded to the person. But the problem is I haven't. And so a couple of days later, when I get a text from the person saying, hey, I'm not sure if you saw my text, but are you, would you be free Tuesday to have lunch? I'm like, what? Like, I responded to this, right? And then so I'll go through my scroll and I'll look. And I'm like, nope, I never actually responded to that anywhere besides in my mind. It's not just text. I do it to emails, to Slack, to voicemails, across the board. And unfortunately, not only am I not communicating well, I'm actually miscommunicating, right? I'm communicating to this person that this thing that they asked me about was so unimportant to me that I didn't even bother to respond. But I did respond, right? But not actually, not, not in a real world. My wife often reminds me that people can't actually read my mind. And therefore, I need to actually type actual responses and then remember to actually hit the send button. My outbox is full of messages that I've literally typed but never hit send. So they just sit there and I feel like I've responded. I've done most of the work except for that critical last step. It'd be so much easier if people could just read my mind, except then you'd open up a whole new set of problems, right? But it'd be easier and people wouldn't feel like they're being neglected or not responded to, that they haven't been heard. And I, and I wonder as I was reflecting on that, if that's something we don't, if I don't, and if you don't, sometimes experience that same concept with God. Like maybe God is just bad at communications. Like we've sent all these messages to God, and yet you don't get any kind of response. No reply, there's just silence. I know I've, I've been there. <laughs> I've spent nights at different seasons of my life just staring at the ceiling and bringing before God some of my deepest worries and concerns and desires and sorrows and joys and just felt like I'm talking to a ceiling. Like there's just no response at all. Like maybe God doesn't care. or Maybe I'm supposed to read God's mind. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like God was just silent or uncaring or unreachable? And I wonder, wouldn't it be easier if, if God just spoke to us the way that he did, like out loud, like he did in the Bible so many times? I mean, the Old Testament is full of all of these stories of God having these full-on conversations with people. The book of Genesis, like right from the beginning, you see Adam and Eve having these conversations with God. The serpent, the bad guy in the story, gets to have conversations with God. Cain and Abel talk with God. Noah talks with God. It's everywhere. You know, first Abram hears from God that he's going to call him to this new land. And then he hears from him later saying, your name's now Abraham. And then he hears from him later, he's going to bless all these people. Abraham's wife, Sarah, hears directly 
from God. Even Abraham's wife, Sarah's handmaiden, who becomes Abraham's mistress, who bears his illegitimate child, <laughs> hears directly from God. It's like everyone's having conversations with God. Moses hears from God in a burning bush on a mountaintop, and then again on a mountaintop when he gets the Ten Commandments, and then again later in the story on a mountaintop. There's all kinds of mountaintop conversations between God and Moses. And don't you wish sometimes that it was like that today? Like God would just tell us directly what he wants. I remember when our oldest Ian turned five, he had an August birthday. And so we were left with that dilemma, like, do you send him to school or do you not? He's going to be the youngest in his class, but he desperately wants to go. And, and all of his assessments and all of the teachers, everything says he should go. But do we make that call that we're not going to know for right, you know, for years down the road? It would just be so much easier if God would say, like, yes, <laughs> I know the future. Send him. Right? And that one's relatively minor. I mean, there are so many life-changing decisions that we make where it would just be so helpful, so meaningful if we could just go to God and he would just give us that sort of direct knowledge, you know, like, yes, take that job or no, don't marry that guy. <laughs> He's a dirt ball and it's not going to end well. And it's easy in those moments when, when we cry out to God and we're so earnest and we're so desiring to hear from him that when we're met with that silence, to kind of insert distrust, to, to feel like maybe God isn't there. He, he, he doesn't really care. Well, today we are concluding this series that we've been in called Whispers, asking exactly those questions. Like, does God still speak to us today? And if so, how do we even hear his voice in the midst of all the noise and the chaos? And today I want to look at another biblical character, one man's story from the Bible, and see how he heard from God. He was this incredibly godly man. He was obedient to scripture. He did everything right. He, he literally could not have been a better follower of Yahweh. And yet scripture gives almost no account of him ever having like these actual conversations, hearing directly from God. I mean, this guy was literally perfect, sinless, the son of God. We should give you a clue who I'm talking about. And yet all we get in the four books that were written to tell his story are a couple of one-line statements from heaven. There's no dialogue back and forth. There's no conversations included in the narrative in any of the four books. Of course, I'm speaking of Jesus. And, and, and while Jesus is clear, and while Scripture is very clear that Jesus heard from the Father, that Jesus knew the Father's will, that Jesus said he only did what the Father commanded him to do, there's no account of those conversations anywhere in the Gospels. And there certainly could have been, right? I mean, the Old Testament was full of those sorts of recounts of, of conversations between God and humans, or the angel of the Lord and humans, or God and the prophets who then spoke those words directly to the humans. And yet we don't get any of that in Jesus' story. Why? Let me be clear that it's always dangerous to try to form too much theology based on what Scripture doesn't say where scripture is silent, but I also think it's significant to look at the fact that these gospel accounts don't speak of the Father and the Son having dialogue. I mean, maybe they had loads of conversations going back and forth and talking, you know, like I talk to my dad when I call him on the phone and I say, I need some advice on this or that or the other thing. Maybe they had those conversations, but the gospels don't give us that. We have to go with what the book does say with the story that is included. And what the, the Gospels point us to is an example of Jesus modeling for us who God is 
and how he interacted and heard from the Father and how we can. So I think if we want to answer the question, how do we hear from God? It would be very informative to ask, how did Jesus hear the Father? There's a place to write that in your notes. If you're watching at home, I would invite you to download these notes and interact with it, especially later on. There's going to be some, some opportunities for some take-homes. Like I said, there are a couple of instances where it is recorded, uh, where, where Jesus hears directly from the Father. And one of those is in the very first chapter of Mark. So I would invite you uh, to turn with me to, to Mark chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send one to you. Reach out to me. Send me an email. I will send you one. Or, or even better yet, get the Bible app uh, from Bible.com. It's a great app. At any rate, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. How much would you give for one of those moments from God, right? Like the dove descending and hearing directly the voice of God. It would be so amazing. And yet, it's the exception in this story. We don't see that happening again in this story. Instead, what we see is this pattern of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry consistently being formed throughout the whole book. We can write this down as well. What were the patterns in Jesus' life? And the very next verse in this passage kind of begins to point to what those patterns look like. Verse 12. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. If you read the whole Gospel of Mark, and it's not a long book, I mean, it's the shortest of the Gospels, you can read the whole thing in something like an hour, you'll see this pattern begin to emerge in the life and the ministry and the communication of Jesus. A pattern where, where Jesus engages in ministry, but then spends time in solitude away from the crowds with his father. In fact, nine times in this very short book of Mark, we see Jesus withdrawing to the wilderness, this very same wilderness, to be with the father. Dallas Willard, who we've referenced, I think, multiple times in this series, describes the, the two different kinds of spiritual disciplines that we see Jesus modeling in the gospels and that we see Jesus inviting us into in these gospel accounts. The first he describes as a discipline of engagement this idea of actually engaging in spiritual practices, the things that we've been talking about, engaging in scripture, engaging in community, and giving and serving and being with others of bringing healing. But then he also describes a very different kind of discipline, a discipline of abstinence. And I think that's perhaps a, a problematic word in our culture, but this idea of abstinence is, is just a discipline of intentionally not doing something of abstaining from something in order to position ourselves better to hear from God. Throughout the series, we've highlighted a number of really valuable disciplines of engagement, like reading scripture, like finding your people, like looking to Jesus Christ. Today, I want to explore what intentional disengagement can look like for us and what it look like for Jesus. Throughout Jesus, we see, or throughout his ministry, we see Jesus doing both of these forms of disciplines, right? Uh, if you continue reading through this very first chapter of Mark, you see Jesus engaging in this discipline of engagement. He chooses his 12 disciples. You see him traveling around, reading scripture and teaching scripture to the people that he encountered, preaching the word of God. In fact, in Mark, it says, the people were amazed at his teaching. 
for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. It says he casts out demons, and the demons even knew who he was. He heals Simon Peter's mother in their home, and huge crowds come. It says in in verse 32, That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the town to watch. So people healed. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. So yes, as we know, Jesus actively engaged in this sort of ministry, these disciplines of engagement. That's only part of his pattern. As you read through Mark and the other gospel twos, you'll see that Jesus abstained the spiritual disciplines as well. And that's apparent in the very next verse, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. It doesn't tell us what he prayed. It doesn't tell us what, if anything, he heard from the Father in those moments. But the author makes it very clear that Jesus needed to go to an isolated place to choose to get away from the crowds and the noise and the demands, the voices of his disciples, the voices of the needy, the voices of those needing to be healed, the voices of the critics, the voices of the Pharisees and the sycophants. He needed to get away from the noise in order to hear the Father's voice. And the pattern then repeats. Even here in chapter one, before chapter one is done, you see repeat, Jesus and his disciples travel throughout the land and they're teaching and they're preaching and they're healing and they're casting out demons all in chapter one. And then a man with leprosy comes to Jesus. And he says, if you're willing, would you heal this leprosy? And Jesus says, I'm willing. He has compassion and he heals the man. But he gives him very specific instructions. He says, don't tell anyone who did this. This is our little secret, Jesus says. And it doesn't go well. Verse 45, but the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon gathered or soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. When the Gospel of Luke tells this story, it tells it a little bit differently. It says this, but despite Jesus's instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. I think we know who let the cat out of that bag. (laughs) And the vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. This is the important part. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness. At critical points in Jesus' ministry, he demonstrates this rhythm of engagement followed by or prefaced by this idea of withdrawing to be alone with the Father in the wilderness. In Mark 6, for instance, there's this story of Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 men, but it says 5,000 men and their families. So it's probably 10,000 plus people that Jesus miraculously feeds with, with just a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes, right? We all know that story. But then it says, next verse, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, like bye-bye, while he sent his people, the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Jesus performs this this amazing miracle, but then withdraws by himself to the hills to pray. Did you notice the header that appeared above that verse? This is actually, this appears under a section known as Jesus walks on water. 
right? He's about to do this other miracle, this other miraculous thing where he sees his disciples in the midst of their storm, in the midst of their fear, and he goes out to them. He miraculously walks across the water to say, peace be still, I am with you in the midst of the storm. But before he does that, and before we skip from one miracle story to another miracle story, we need to pause because Jesus paused. Jesus paused and he went to the wilderness, to the mountain top to pray. That same wilderness that starts Jesus' journey here in Mark and Jesus' journey in Luke. That same wilderness where Jesus was hungry and thirsty, where Jesus was tempted, where Jesus was out of his comfort zone. And yet it says that Jesus often returned to that very wilderness to be with the Father. I know in my life, and maybe in yours, I actually go to great efforts to avoid wilderness places. Because throughout Scripture and throughout my life, certainly the wilderness usually represents struggle, isolation, solitude, hunger, thirst, discomfort. And yet that's where Jesus often goes in order to hear from God, in order to hear from his Father. And in fact, if you go back to those Old Testament accounts, many of those accounts take place in wilderness moments, right? I mean, you, you go back and you look at Moses. Moses is hiding out in Midian, you know, hiding from his life, running from the Egyptians who want to kill him. And so now he's in Midian, this nowhere land, and he's out tending his father-in-law's sheep on a mountaintop. This is a low moment. This is a wilderness moment for Moses. And it's in that moment that God reveals himself and speaks directly to Moses in this burning bush. You look at the story of Hagar. You know, she's living as an exile alone with her infant son in this wilderness without any idea how she's going to survive, having just been rejected by everyone in her household after being called these horrible names and driven from the village. It's in that moment that God says, I'm with you and I have a plan for your future. I have a promise for you and this child. You are loved. You look at the story of the prophet Elijah, alone and desperate in the wilderness, and God calls him and he says, stand before me on the mountain. And you're probably familiar with the story. God goes to speak to him, but God isn't in the windstorm. God isn't in the earthquake. God isn't in the fire. It says instead in 1 Kings 19.12, and after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper, a gentle whisper. In each of these stories and in countless other stories in Scripture, God encounters people at the lowest points in the wilderness, on the mountaintop, in isolation, out of their comfort zone. And oftentimes he speaks not in the midst of the storm. He does. He walks on the water to comfort sometimes. But often in these stories, it's the whisper that we may only be able to hear if we're willing to enter that wilderness place, that mountaintop place, that quiet place away from the noise, away from the crowds, away from the media and the busyness and the chaos that so marks our existence and quiet ourselves to listen. I know for me, and I'm guessing for some of you, those of you like me, that idea of quieting ourselves, of, of leaning into the wilderness, that's stupid hard. That is, that's wicked hard. <laughs> that is the much harder ask. I resist going to those places. I'm like a toddler resisting a bath. <laughs> you know, like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to bed. I resist 
the idea of being quiet, of isolation. I tend to, to, to try to quiet the storms in my life by escaping the storms, by escaping into my comfort zones, but by dulling the pain and dulling the noise, by taking food or beverages or Netflix or whatever it is, right? By going further into my comfort zone, not further out of it. And yet that's where Jesus had to go in order to hear from the Father. If Jesus had to go to these wilderness places to be away from the noise in order to hear his father's voice, why would I think that somehow I don't have to as well, that I don't need that? Time and time again, we see Jesus modeling this pattern of engaging in ministry, of being in scripture, of being and eating with other people. But we also see him exercising abstinence, abstaining from the crowds, from the noise, from the busyness in order to be with the father, in order to be recharged, refilled, so that he could bear fruit in his seasons of engagement. Do we? What are the patterns in our lives? Chris, very early on in the series said, how do we filter God's whispers through the world's noise? He said this, and I love this. He said, there's a frequency that your life was designed to be tuned into. And you can get better at distinguishing God's whispers from the world's noise. And I think at least in part, the way we do that is by turning down the noise. But that's hard. We do that by listening through scripture. We do that by listening through other listeners. We we do that by listening through Christ. And the way that Christ modeled for us is to listen in the wilderness, in the quiet, on the mountaintop. Do you have that mountaintop place where you can regularly go to be alone with God? One author that I read said, When you're in solitude with God, you're never alone. I thought that was was beautiful. Are you willing to lean into the wilderness away from your comfort zone in order to hear the whisper of God away from the world's noise? Over the holidays, we were up north with my family, with my, my parents and my siblings and their kids and their spouses and all of that. And we were about to have a really fun family time doing something. I don't even remember what it was, but it was gonna be super fun. And, and my sister called down to my teenage niece and she said, hey, Amelia, come on up. We're gonna do this really fun thing that Jason won't be able to remember. <laughs> and, and, and my niece responded, and I'll never forget this. She said, oh, that'll be great. I'll be there in just a minute. I really wanna do my quiet time first. I thought, what teenager? models that kind of and this wasn't about her feeling an obligation or doing this out of guilt she genuinely wanted to spend time with the father she wanted to hear her voice she had built into her patterns into her life this desire to meet with god in the quiet away from the noise even if that noise was fun do we have those patterns we are just about a month away from the season that we call lent And we are a church who observes the church calendar, at least in part because it allows us to regularly engage in seasons like Lent. Lent is this unique opportunity we have to examine the patterns of our lives and intentionally restructure some of those patterns to more closely align to the patterns that we see in the life of Christ. So as we are wrapping up this Whispers series, I want to invite you now to kind of begin like the ramp up to Lent. (laughs) I guarantee no other churches ramp up to Lent. Don't, don't wait to start building these patterns until Lent starts. It's like, you know, it's like New Year's resolutions. Like for, I'm, for Lent, I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to give up. <laughs> nah, you won't. <laughs> start practicing, practicing 
these things now. Take this next month that we have to begin to take the steps towards putting some of those patterns in place. On your notes page, whether here or at home, if you download the notes page, I've included the section called Patterns in Our Lives Ramp Up to Lent. And under that, there's this place to fill in that says, don't try train. That's not mine. That's been used by lots of people over the years. But this idea of this isn't about trying harder. It's about training better. We want to invite you to take this time to prayerfully consider taking this month to try both of these disciplines of engagement, you know, of doing things, the first fill-in, and then also the disciplines of abstinence, which is the second list of fill-ins on your sheet there. Each week you can try one of each of these types of disciplines in order to begin to explore how we can listen to God's voice in this upcoming season of Lent. For instance, during Lent, we're going to invite us all to go through this reading plan that we found. That's just great. It's called Lent Journey According to Luke. It's offered for free by that Bible app that I was talking about, the YouVersion Bible app. And we can all do it together. Imagine what it would be for all of us to read through the same section of Luke each day, to read the same devotional each day. How cool would it be for for us to be able to share with one another how God is speaking to us through Scripture, the same passages that we're all reading together. And we could see who else is participating with us in that. Don't don't wait to build that pattern. Start now. One of the discipleships of engagement that you could practice now is to do like a one month or even a one week trial. Get the app and just try a one week reading plan. Begin to build this practice now. Go to bible.com and download the free app and explore the different studies that they have, the different devotional plans that they have. Start now. Maybe a first step is to write down under engagement would be to, you know, find your people. Find other listeners with whom you can be listening. Join a small church. If you haven't already joined a small church, talk to me. I'd love to help you connect with one. Or if you're in a small church, begin now as a small church to talk about how you can use this season of Lent for doing this journey together. We need to listen with other listeners. Maybe for some, like me, these disciplines of abstinence might actually be the harder ask. And that's okay. This is a season to practice. Maybe you could try one per week. For instance, you could choose a different kind of fast for each week. Fasting from particular food, fasting from media, fasting from working in the evening. I don't know what that might be for you, but asking yourself the question, how can I better tune myself and my life and my patterns to that frequency that is in me, that frequency that wants to hear God's voice? Fasting can be a way of intentionally leaving your comfort zone and finding your mountaintop, your wilderness place where you can hear from God. What voices do I need to start tuning out in order to hear God more? Maybe it's the news media. Maybe it's that friend's voice that's constantly calling you into choices that you know are building up barriers between you and God, hearing from God I'm not saying dump that friend. Maybe I'm saying dump that friend. But I'm saying, what if just for a season, we turn down that voice so that we could better hear the voice of God? Maybe it's the movies or the TV or the constant bombardment of messages that tell you that you're not thin enough or rich enough or good enough or loved enough or, or whatever enough to tell you that you could be happier if you just had more. What if even for a week, even for a season, we turn down those voices in order to hear from the God who is the Good Shepherd, who promises that you will hear and recognize His voice if you will only listen. 
The good shepherd who promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I would invite you in this moment right now, with all of us here together, wherever you are at home, to take a moment and ask God to reveal to you the disciplines of engagement and perhaps the disciplines of abstinence that you could explore over these next weeks before Lent so that we can together as a community of believers hear from God together with one another and for one another. Here's the thing. I know that it's tempting in these seasons to think that God expects us to read his mind. But if you continue in the book, if you go all the way to 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that if we're followers of Christ, we've literally been given the mind of Christ. We have it. If we'll only turn down the noise and hear it, if we'll only listen. I want to do something right now in this room that is incredibly uncomfortable for me. It might be for you. Uh, and yet, I think it's just sort of a mini mountaintop experience to give us a moment to hear from God and to respond, not just in your mind, <laughs> but with a pen, with a note on your phone, with, with some sort of reminder of what we're being called into in this season, to write down a few of the ways that God is calling you as we conclude this series to make changes in the patterns of your life in the frequencies so that you can hear the voice of God better. Take a moment right now, and if you're watching at home, I would invite you even to simply pause, pause playback. We'll be here when you get back. Take a moment just to reflect, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the changes, the disciplines that you're being called into in this season, and then take the next month with us to practice those disciplines. Let's take a moment here in this room to pause and go before God. Father God, your, your word is full of so many stories that prove that you are good, that you are present, that like Sam said, in every moment of life, you are with us and for us. And yet, God, we are so tempted, like you were in the wilderness, to lean on our circumstances, to see your absence rather than feel your presence, to listen to the voices that are sending us so many conflicting messages, rather than quieting those voices and hearing yours. God, in this moment and in this season, would you speak to us? Would you give us the wisdom to know what it is that we can turn down and what it is that we need to engage in in order to better hear from you, to hear the plans and the stories that you have for us? We repent of the patterns that have left us so often feeling alone, feeling exhausted, feeling run down, and feeling distant from you, a God who is ever present. Help us to turn back to you. I ask it for myself, for each of us in this room, in this space, and in this world. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.